0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. As most of you know, we are still in our series on 2 Peter, and perhaps in the next... Two weeks we can bring this to a close, that would be my guesstimate. Second Peter, chapter number three, the last chapter of Second Peter. I want to read verses one through seven uh, here this evening. Verses one through seven. Apostle Peter says, This second epistle, because he already talked to us in First Peter, the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this verse that there shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? reserved into fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Tonight, I would like to speak to you. This is part 10 of our series. I entitled this, He's Coming as Sure as His Word. He's Coming as Sure as His Word. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we need you this evening. We pray, Lord, for the anointing of your spirit, God, upon this messenger of clay. Your word, Lord, is already anointed. I pray, O God, that it would find its place in our lives. Enlightenment, God, to our minds. I pray, O Lord Jesus, today, God, as we've been, Lord Jesus, just coming week after week, Lord. Folding back the pages in Second Peter, I pray, God, that true Lord Jesus, would come forward. God, that could be, Lord, applicable, Father, to our own lives and the life of this church. will not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you do, even this evening, through your word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. In Jesus' name, he's coming as sure as his word. Peter turns a corner. In actuality here in chapter number three, the opening of this chapter is basically informing us why the false teachers that we have been looking at in this particular book follow their own lust and do everything that he formerly mentioned in chapter number two. All those different traits of those false teachers and simply he comes to uh, the understanding or gives us the understanding that these false teachers, they are not convinced That the Lord is coming. And that is the reason why that they follow their own lust. That's the reason why they're trying to allure others. And they don't care necessarily how they live their lives as was portrayed in chapter 2. It's because they're not convinced that the Lord is coming. And thus they believe then as a result of that there will be no judgment. If he's not coming there's not going to be any judgment then. So in order for the godly. uh, Those that Peter is speaking to those that have received the same precious faith and promises that he spoke of formerly in chapter number one. In order for them not to be caught up in the same mindset that the Lord isn't coming and there is no pending judgment. Peter writes this second epistle, second Peter, along with first Peter, which he has already written, hoping to stir up their pure minds, as he says it, by way of remembrance. Because the day of the Lord, the rapture of the church, it's labeled a lot of different things, but those type of things have been talked about. He lets them know it's been spoken of in the Old Testament or what he calls by the prophets. It's been spoken of. Uh, For us in our period in the New Testament or what he refers to as the apostles, it's been the holy prophets and the commandment of the apostles. Both have spoke about the day of the Lord or the rapture of the church. Not only have they spoken about it, but he seems to underscore the fact that this is something that needs to be regularly talked about, needs to be regularly talked about in order to keep it in the forefront of people's minds so that they'll remember that the Lord is coming back. That will keep in the forefronts of their minds. Even a time ago, back in the Old Testament, the Lord had spoke to Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to write uh, some things down in a book. For what purpose for a memorial? I want you to write them down in a book of memorial for what purpose to rehearse it in their ears? So even in the Old Testament, there were some things that the Lord had given to Moses that he said, this is necessary. For these things to be rehearsed in their ears because why the Lord didn't want anybody to forget what he had said what he had spoken and the same is still for today as a matter of fact when we look at the book of Jeremiah if you were to read the book of Jeremiah no more than any other book. Then in the book of Jeremiah, will you read that the Lord came to him? This is how it's stated in Jeremiah several times. The Lord came unto me the second time saying, you see that over and over again. that The Lord didn't just tell Jeremiah some things once, but he told him twice. Amen. He's trying to remind, amen, because repetition is necessary. Amen. Whatever comes to the word of God, when it comes to our lives, live for the Lord. Because here is a truth that when the admonition stops, when you stop talking about it, that even sometimes the godly tend to forget and discard what has been taught formally. And so Peter is coming to the plate basically that he can't allow that to happen. He cannot allow God's people to forget that he is going to come back someday. And so he had to tell them again and again about his coming, about his judgment that is coming when he comes, because he knew that people seem to nod off spiritually whenever they feel like the coming of the Lord is delayed. I've heard it for years, right? My grandma said that. My parents said that. They're saying it now. And if we don't watch ourselves, we'll disengage because we'll Get this idea. That's just a fable. That's just a story. That's just something they just it's the carrot that they dangled out in front of us. But Peter didn't want them of his era, nor us of our generation to be in denial about the Lord's return. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians three and verse one. He said, finally, my brethren rejoice in the Lord. He says to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. In other words, the apostle Paul said this. He says for your own safety, I write the same things to you over and over again. He said it's it's not a hardship of me to repeat myself. It's not a hardship for me to write the same things. He said in reality, it's safe for you because you need to be reminded You you need to be reminded concerning the things that I have told you before. It never hurts any of us to be told again what we've been told before. Amen? Because the, the history of the epistles in particular is this. The rule of thumb is that people will, they will behave as they believe. That's, the, that's the, uh, the practice of New Testament Scripture in the epistles. If you believe a certain way, however you believe, that will determine how you behave. And so that's constantly throughout the epistles. And so if we don't go back every once in a while and rehearse what we believe, then by that disconnect, that could have some type of influence on how we behave. Amen. And so we reiterate, even in this church, we reiterate the core truths of God's word and the core beliefs of God's word. Amen. In order to affect the behavior of God's people. Amen. In 2 Kings 22 in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us a story of a young king by the name of Josiah. The Bible says that King Josiah, he rent his clothes upon hearing the words of the book of the law that was read in his midst. And the reason why he does this is because the book of law of the law had been found by the high priest. It had been found in the house of the Lord. It had been quite some time since the book of the law had been read in the presence of the people. If I can say it like this, it had been a while since those things of the law had been rehearsed in their ears since they had been reminded. And so as a result of that, partially as a result of that, the people had departed from the principles of the law. It's not been talked about in a while, not been spoken in their midst in a while. So some of them are veering off to the left and veering off to the right just because it's not been mentioned in a while. And the Bible says, Josiah even rent his clothes. Why? Because upon hearing it, he understood. We're not where we should be. We are not where our forefathers used to be. Amen. And it wasn't, though, until he heard that once again in his ears that he come to the understanding that they weren't where they used to be. And so this is the truth tonight, that a silent word will never materialize in the lives of the people. A silent word will never materialize in the lives of the people. What are you saying then? I'm saying all then of the doctrines and the truths of God's word, we can't expect them to materialize in the lives of the people of the congregation if we never talk about them. Amen. So that's the reason why we talk about, you know, repentance over and over again. Amen. And we teach on it. We preach on it because we want repentance then to come forth as fruit in the lives of God's people. Amen. But if we're silent about repentance, there ain't going to be anybody to repent. For one, how can they do something that they don't know anything about? it? Amen. But we need to rehearse it. Peter knows Peter knows that these people have heard some of these things before. He knows that they've heard it before. He knows that they're going to hear it again. And he knows, though, that it would not grow silent in his generation. He is making sure of that. But Peter wanted the people to be both mindful of the words of the holy prophets, the Bible says, and of the apostles, because there is harmony between the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. If you will remember last week, the false teachers The false teachers in chapter number 2 and verse 18, the false teachers allured other people, the Bible says, with their great swelling words of vanity. They had a message, didn't they? With their great swelling words of vanity, they would allure other people down false paths. Well, Paul had told Timothy in Timothy 2 16, amen, that vain babblings increase into more unbelief. Godliness, And so perhaps Peter in 2 Peter is thinking if vain babblings and things of that bring a, 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 a group of people that would be led away from something into untruth or that vain babblings would increase into more godliness, perhaps us being mindful of the prophets and mindful of the apostles and rehearsing that in the ears of the people, maybe that will increase unto more godliness. If the babblings are going to go into more ungodliness, maybe truth, the rehearsing of that, will will fester, if you will, more godliness into the lives of the people. For that matter, folks, the message of the prophets concerning the day of the Lord, again, was echoed by the apostles as they spoke about the coming of the Lord. 25 of 27 New Testament books directly or indirectly refer to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone has even observed that roughly one in every 25 verses in the New Testament speak in some way of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For that matter, the prophets and the apostles are the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church is situated upon the apostles and the prophets, according to Ephesians Ephesians 2 and verse 19 states these words. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. Verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The church, in order for the church to maintain her identity, she cannot abandon the prophets And the apostles, amen, because she is situated. Her foundation, the makeup of her foundation is the apostles and the prophets. For that matter, the psalmist said this. He said, if the foundations are destroyed, he said, then what can the righteous do? We got to have the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Of course, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone from which all these things are Derive. And so Peter comes a little bit further now verse number two. He wanted them to be mindful of what he wanted them to be mindful of. Verse number three, actually, he said, know this first. You're going to be mindful of anything. Know this. He says, there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lust. And then he proceeds to tell us that they will be questioning the Lord's coming. It's going to be scoffers coming. They're going to be walking after their own paths, their own lusts, and they're going to be questioning the coming of the Lord. In other words, people are going to be mocking and questioning the recorded certainties, amen, in his word, amen, that's going to happen. And them even questioning, them even mocking is in itself a sign of the times. The scoffers even being uh, uh, present is just a sign of the times within itself. And these scoffers are leaning on this fact. This is what they're basing all of their scoff upon and they're questioning concerning his coming upon this fact. He hasn't came yet. He hasn't came yet. And all things seem to continue in the world just as they've always went. And nothing seems to have changed all the way since the time of the old patriarch, since the time of creation itself. Everything has just went on just exactly as it has always went on. And they've been crying, but the Lord is going to come and he's not come yet. And they lean upon that as a reason or idea. Then you know what? If he's not come by now, he's not coming. Someone say amen. In reality, those are questions. Those are statements of mockery to the promise of God's word. Because for the false teachers, it's this. If we can reject his coming, then we can reject the idea of future judgment. We can reject his coming, that we don't have to worry about judgment. Folks, when we look at Old Testament scripture as a source, as a springboard throughout the Old Testament and biblical history, when one normally formed a question with, Where is, blah, 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 whatever it may be. That was normally a person that was a skeptic. When they started their, where is. For instance, in Psalms 42, uh, there was the question that was posed, and this was being said in a skeptical way. Where is thy God? In Jeremiah, when he was trying to prophesy that there was going to come damnation and destruction to Israel if they didn't amend their ways, here was the word that was coming. Where is the word of the Lord? In, in Malachi, toward the close of the Old Testament, the question was, where is the God of judgment? It wasn't really sincere questions as much as it was a, a skeptical statement that was formed in the, the, the posture of a question. And so Peter told them, if you'll remember back in 2 Peter 1 and verse 4, Peter told them that by the divine power that they had received, that they were given exceeding great and precious promises you remember that said you're given exceeding great and precious promises but the scoffers in disdain then if they're saying then by the spirit you receive you receive exceeding great and precious promises then the scoffers on the other side of the spectrum are saying this well then if that's the case where is the promise of his coming you say you've been given great promises but where are they being materialized where's the promise of his coming I'm here to tell you tonight that the Apostle Paul in particular, writing a good two-thirds of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was so consumed that the rapture of the church was imminent, which basically means this. When we talk about the rapture of the church being imminent, we are meaning that the rapture of the church could happen at any time. That's what imminent is all about. It could happen at any time. Paul was consumed with the idea. That the rapture of the church could happen at any time. Insomuch that he said and used the pronoun we when he was referring to and writing about those that were living, perhaps during the time of the rapture in a couple of places. Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. This is the Apostle Paul. He's, he's writing about the catching away of the church. And he says, Behold, I shew you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Paul's right now. We, he says, shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17 says, then we, right? The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout. And he says, then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now listen, whenever Paul's saying we, and he's talking about as though he's going to be among the living, Right? We shall be changed. He's talking like he's going to be among the living when the rapture of the church takes place. But Paul is not predicting that the rapture of the church by saying we. He's not predicting that the rapture of the church was going to take place before he died. His we is more about believing that it could happen at any time. Rather than predicting that it was going to happen soon. He was saying we because he says you never know it could be tomorrow. He was saying we because he said you never know it could happen today. I might be among the living. He said it's the imminent return of the Lord. It could happen at any moment. I could just as well be a part of the living." As I might be a part of the day, but either way, we're getting up out of here. Hey, man, he's not predicting that it would be soon. He's just predicting it could be at any time. As one man stated it like this, and I believe this is plain, that the Lord could come at any time. And so we got to be ready at all time. Someone say yes. But the thinking of the scoffers was, well, he's not coming. The sun rises in the, in the east, the sun sets in the west. Happens day after day. Tide comes in, tide goes out, happens day after day. Seasons change in a, in a silical pattern. They come and they go. Everything has been just like it was when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob walked in shoe leather upon the earth. All these things have continued, even all the way back from the very beginning of creation. Nothing has Change. There's been no major event, there's been no cataclysmic event in these regularities of the earth, sun rising, going, tides coming and going. So why in the world or how in the world can there be any disturbance, if you will, of a coming in the future? Because things have been the same for years. For one, just because it hasn't happened is no guarantee it won't happen. Let me rephrase that. Just because it hasn't happened yet is no guarantee it won't ever happen. Just bear with me. In the Old Testament, you remember the story of Moses and Aaron, Dathan and Abiram and Korah? Dathan, Abiram and Korah all rebelled to a certain degree against Moses and Aaron. And if you'll remember, the Lord says, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to cause the earth to open up Swallowed Dathan, Byram, and Korah. And the Bible says the ground underneath them opened up. It swallowed them and closed up on them. It had never happened before. But that didn't keep it from happening. Just because it hasn't happened yet does not mean it cannot happen. And secondly, the Bible says when the scoffers say, when the scoffers say these, these types of things, he's not coming, it's been the same as it always been. The Bible says, Peter says this, look at it now. The scripture, I'm going down here with my eyes, verse number five. He says that these people, for this they willingly are ignorant of. Whenever they say these type of things, these scoffers are willingly or literally translated are intentionally ignorant of some things. You know what he's saying? He's saying they know better than what they're saying, but they choose to deny what they know and claim ignorance. He says, this is how this is how the false teachers, he says, of the last days are going to work. This is how in, in the last chapter, I think it was just last week that we stated that these false teachers, that the last state of them will be worse than their first state, because they'll have a knowledge of some things that they've just denied and rejected. But now they're going headlong and doing some things, not ignorantly, but they're willfully doing some things that they know they shouldn't be doing, but they're doing it anyway. And so their last state is worse than their first state because no longer are they truly ignorant of truth because they've known truth and they've rejected truth. For that matter, to get the idea of this, 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 13, the Bible says who? It's speaking of the apostle Paul. Paul was before a blasphemer, the Bible says, a persecutor and injurious. That was Paul before. He says, but I obtained the mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul says that that there was mercy extended to me because I did it ignorantly, right? That was Paul, blasphemer, persecutor, injurious. He did all this stuff ignorantly. He didn't know any better. But Peter says these false teachers, these scoffers, they are doing it willingly in ignorance. The scoffers are being intentionally ignorant. Seems like an oxymoron, do not it? Intentionally ignorant about the influence of the word of God in primarily three areas. And these are the three areas they're being ignorant about. Number one, they're being ignorant about the formation of the heavens and the earth from the very beginning. Number two, they're being ignorant about the flood or the deluge that came up on the earth in Noah's day. You look at it right there in, in, in 2 Peter 3. Number three, as a result of all that, they're being ignorant then of the future. Demise of the earth. That is still yet to come. They say all things have just continued as they always have since creation. Without any intervention of the Lord. But in reality, the moment that they mention creation. Mentioning creation supports there's been some type of divine agency. And intervention in the past. Amen. Someone say amen. Because creation is due to. Genesis chapter number one, about eight times, God said, let. Such, such, such and such, such and such. Let there be light, let there be the firmament, let there be so and so forth, right? Creation is due to God said, let there be about eight times in the opening of the chapter of Genesis, meaning this, that the word of God was responsible for the heavens and the earth in the beginning. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 11 and one through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Creation, the word, the worlds of God, heaven and the earth were all responsible. They were responsible or they allowed their existence, amen, to be owned to the word of God. God said let, God said let, God said let. "Let." But the heavenly world and the earthly world existed and might I say continue to exist because of the word of God or divine agency, divine intervention, the word. The psalmist David said in Psalms 119 and verse 89, he said, forever, O Lord, thy word, or by say, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. How did he do it? By his word. They continue this day according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. Someone say amen. He said, thy word is settled in heaven. And the Lord has established the earth and it abideth. And he did all that by God said, by his word. As a matter of fact, those things that he created continue. And are in existence. If I can tell you, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Because the word that started it is the word that sustains it. The tide goes in and it comes back out. Amen. That continues, scoffers, because the word that first spoke it is the same word that causes it to happen day by day. Hallelujah. The seasons come, autumn, winter, spring, and summer. Amen. In that constant little cycle year after year, you say he's not coming because everything's going on just like it is. He says, quite on the contrary, I say he can still come because it was word that set all that in the motion to begin with. You say things continuing as a result that God isn't going to come. He says, I say, that's just more reason to believe that he is coming because it's his word that sustains and maintains the activity. The word settled, the Hebrew word for settled, it's a military term. It applies to arraying and marshalling the divisions of an army in their proper station when taking the field. In other words, this settled word has marshaled, if you will, the host of heaven and of earth right where they are to be arrayed, right at their post, right at their position in exact order to be maintained there forever. All of their duties, amen, that the sun wanted the sun to do has been imposed on the sun at the beginning of creation, and it has kept rank. <laughs> it's kept its marching order. The earth as well has kept to the march that's been prescribed it by God. They are servants, as David said, of the great creator. Amen. What he says do, they do. Wind blow, it blows. Clouds gather, they gather. Rain it falls. Go into the lakes, be re-exhorded into the clouds and fall again. All because of the order of the creator. Nothing seemingly has changed. There's that beautiful Regularity, the ebb and the flow of the earth because of that settled, settled word. And so Peter joins in with that and says, All things have continued as they are, and all they do is declare the glory of the settled word of God. He said, Those words are settled. God's word is settled. God's word is eternal. Hmm. Not temporal. But eternal, it lasts and does last for more than just a moment. God's word is forever until there's a next word to change that word. Someone say amen. So things, the scoffers say, have always carried on as they always have since creation. Until in Genesis the Bible says, by the word of the Lord, a flood was determined to come upon the whole earth. God is the creator. God is the sustainer. God someday, believe it or not, will be the destroyer. Amen. The same word that created the worlds and sustained them, that same word, Peter is telling them, the same word that did that is the same word that determined that there would be a flood That would come upon the earth for judgment against the people of that day. The same word that started all this is the same word. Not a different one. It's the same word. You can read it in your Bibles. That will declare and has declared that he is coming. And it declares a day of judgment. Can someone say amen? Look at it in verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, he's referring back to the word that started creation to begin with. He says, by the same word are going to be reserved, kept store, reserved in the fire against the day of judgment, perdition, of the ungodly man. What he's saying? He's saying we have the same thing that's in activity here. What started creation is the very same thing that's going to bring creation to an end. It's going to happen. In other words, if you believe that God made the sun, moon, and the stars, if you believe, amen, to all things in, in order was by the hand of God and you appreciate that he says then you better believe he's coming back because if you believe that it's the same word that determines the end as it did the beginning it's the same word it's a settled word amen so the surety of the judgment of heaven and earth was coming and the coming of the Lord was coming it's all based upon the surety of the earth and the heaven itself as it is today, because the word is responsible for them both. Someone say amen. First Peter 3, 8. So it brings him to this. So he's kind of combated some things here. He's not coming. He's not been here yet. All things have continued. He says, but beloved talking now to the church, be not ignorant of this one thing unless you're getting sucked into this, this this concept that's going around that he's not coming. Be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So not only is the word eternal. But what Peter is conveying here is God's timetable is not equal to man's timetable. Peter's making a simile here. Some people have incorrectly taken one day is a thousand years. The as though there indicates to us that this is a simile. This is not a direct relation necessarily. You can just take a thousand years somewhere equal to a day or day and equal to a thousand years. We've missed it there. It's as. It's a simile. Peter's making a simile here. It's a figure of speech. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years. He didn't say one day is with the Lord a thousand years. In other words, God, God sees time differently than we see time. God sees time measured against eternity because that's what he is, eternal. God sees time measured against eternity. Amen. And so when we're looking at something, we're like, man. It's been a long time, Lord. He's not coming back. Oh, it's been a long time. Well, what's a long time to you is just a moment to God in eternity. Amen. He don't see things as we see them. A good case in point where there's a difference between time and eternity. God, the way that our perspective of time is, amen, between his and our perspective of time would be simply this. Moses is on the backside of the desert, spent 40 years there, well acquainted with everything that goes on there, tends the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. And one day while he's out there walking, he sees a bush that's being burned. Right? But it's not being consumed. And he said, I'm going to turn aside. And see this bush that's not being consumed. This was out of the ordinary for Moses. And he goes to that thing and all of a sudden a voice cries to him out of that bush. Moses, Moses, take the shoes off thy feet for you're standing on holy ground. What in the world? A bush in the desert that's burning, but it's not consumed. And then we hear the voice of the Lord speaking from the bush. Let me tell you what's happened in this little episode in the book of Exodus. Eternity interrupted time. God was speaking from that bush. Eternity interrupted time. By the and perspective of the time of man, a burning bush should be consumed. But God had stepped inside of that burning bush. And when God stepped inside of that burning bush, eternity interrupted time. And so it's constantly burning but never being consumed. God stepped into that thing. Hey, man, it's just as different between God's perspective and our perspective concerning time. It's just as different as night and day. Amen. Peter is most likely quoting perhaps from the Psalms. This is not something indifferent to what the New Testament scriptures have. A lot of the New Testament scriptures are quotings or rewordings of many Old Testament scripture. Peter problem, problem, maybe perhaps uh, quoting from the Psalms and Psalms chapter number 90 in particular where this particular Psalm seems to be contrasting the eternity of God with the temporary lifespan of mankind as a matter of fact it's in that Psalm it talks about That man is given three score and 10 years to live. And maybe perhaps even four score, which would be 80 years that man is given to live. But in that moan of talking about man's lifespan, he even says in there, the psalmist does sometimes, he says, so teach us to number our days. He says in that same psalm. Well, in Psalms 90 and verse number four is where we get this scripture that perhaps that Peter may be gleaning from. He said, for a thousand years in thy sight, speaking to the Lord, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday. When it is past and as a watch in the night, a thousand years, just like a watch in the night. And We're not talking about a timepiece. OK, we're talking about like a uh, what is it, three year, a three hour or so uh, time frame or, or such during the night. He says it's just just like just like a small time frame, a thousand years. It's just like yesterday. So in other words, the psalmist and both Peter is telling us what may seem like forever to us. Maybe just a moment to God. Because God's not bound by time. He bound himself by time when he manifested himself in the flesh as Jesus Christ to a certain degree in his humanity. But still in the spirit, he was not bound by time. That's how, as Jesus was praying in the garden, God manifested in the flesh. He could pray, I have have finished the work, but he'd not even been to Calvary yet. How in the world could he have finished the work and not even been to Calvary yet? Because in the realm of eternity, he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was already a done deal. Amen. God is not bound by time. He reigns in the realm of eternity. Second Peter 3 and verse number 9. Look at it now. He goes on, Peter does. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But is along suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter says, What men may call slackness, or what men may call delay, or what men may say, God's slow. <laughs> he said, these scoffers that saying all that, he said, you, you've misconstrued it. What you think is God delaying is really God being patient. It's God's long suffering. to man don't seem like much time to God anyway, but for your purpose, it's not God being slow. It's God being long suffering. Why? He does not want us to perish. He doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want the false teacher to perish. He doesn't want the one, the false teacher is alluring to perish. He doesn't want the one that's a part of the church. To lose their way and perish, he doesn't want us to perish. He would rather that we would repent. And so the presumed delay, according to the scoffers, the presumed delay, he's delayed in his coming, he's not coming, he's not come yet. The presumed delay in the coming, of the Lord should really be interpreted as an act of mercy. Rather than God being slack on his promise, it should be understood as an act of mercy. They're saying he's not coming, but he hasn't came. What you should be understanding, he hasn't come because he's being merciful. Right. Yeah. You're saying he's not come, so he's not coming. Hey, man, you're looking at it as a deal. Hey, man, it's, but from God's perspective, he's patiently waiting for just another one to repent. Just for another one to turn their life around. Just for another one to take care of the advantage that he has given to them. Amen. According to eternity, God's not slow. God's not slack. Lord's not slack concerning his promises. According to eternity, he's not slow concerning his promise. So due to the scoffers, due to the scoffers' complaint about the timing of God, you know what they really did? Look at this. They're complaining about the timing of God because he's not come yet. Really, in doing so, they have mocked their own opportunity to be saved. They've mocked their own opportunity to make things right. They're trying to use God's patience against him. He's not come. He's probably not coming. You're missing it. They're trying to use God's patience against him. When in reality, what they should be doing is availing themselves of that long suffering of that time. That old song that we used to sing, the twins used to sing, We cry, wait, just a little bit longer, please, Jesus. There are so many wandering out in sin. We cry, wait, just a little longer, please, Jesus, just a few more days to get our loved ones in. And note. Know how Peter says it, but it is long-suffering to us word. Everybody say to us word. That's a peculiar word. It's long-suffering to us word. Lest we think that this is just patience for those that are weary and often left field and straight from the path. It was for them, but Peter is saying it's for all of us, this patience. This long suffering is for all of us, those that have been redeemed, that's trying to maintain their redeemed status by walking according to the Lord. This long suffering is for all of us. I guarantee I need some long suffering every once in a while. There's some days. Be honest, there's some days I'm glad the Lord didn't come back. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And so, and I'll close with this, if you'll stand with me. So what really Peter says to the scoffers appears as a delay is is really patience to us all. He's going to come. He is coming, just as sure as his word. His word created all things, sustained all things, spoke of the coming of the flood. It is by that same word, he said, all these things are reserved unto the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. He's coming just as sure as his word. Isaiah said, the grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord shall abide forever. He even said, heaven and earth shall pass away before one jot ja or one tittle. Accent points in, in, in the, the, the Greek or the, the, the Hebrew language before one of them pass he said his word he said, it's going to it's going to be there. He's coming just as sure as his word. Let's bow our heads here tonight, if we can this evening. It's with that type of understanding that he's coming just as sure as his word. That as Peter reminded those of his day, we must remind us of our day because we need to have that insight. It's important to live our lives with the end in view. Oh, but Brother McGee. Oh, but Brother McGee, nothing, it is imminent. It could happen at any moment. No man knows the day nor the hour. We'll look at next week as he begins to describe as others throughout the New Testament scripture describe that the coming of the Lord will be as a thief in the night. If you knew what hour that he was coming, you would make yourself ready. And here it is again, since we don't know the exact hour, but there are signs in our world that can point toward, if you will, the coming of the Lord or the wrapping up if of the world, then we got to just make our calling and election sure today. Amen. Because it could be any moment, any time. Hallelujah. My grandparents said it. Those before them said it. But I know his coming is just as sure of his word. Amen. Each of them are just links all in all of this promise. Amen. The Bible even talks about Abraham of old. Amen. That died not even seeing the promise. And they were talking about that land of promise inheriting that land. Amen. But they knew someday it would come and it did for generations further down the road well there is a promise still yet to come to us of a rapture of the church and if it will not happen in your generation sir or ma'am it may happen in some of your descendants generation but either way i want to be ready whether dead or alive he's going to have a church he'll come back for her if she's living and he's coming back for her if she's dead he'll call her up out of the ground to receive her unto herself i want to be ready I want to be ready. Can we begin to pray all across this place tonight? Father, we need you tonight, Lord. God, we want to be ready, Lord Jesus, for your coming. We want to be ready, O Lord Jesus, for your coming. We want that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead to dwell in us, God, so that it might quicken our mortal bodies, change this mortal to immortality, this corruptible to incorruptible. I pray, O Lord, that when that last trump of God, Lord, shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. Amen. and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the air and forever shall we be with the Lord. God, your word says that we must comfort one another with these words. We got to constantly tell each other, he's coming. He's coming just as sure as his word. He's coming as sure as his word. We got to keep reminding each other, this is not a fable. This is not a delay. This is long suffering and patience. He's coming as sure as his word. Oh, it may be morning, it may be night, it may be noon. We don't know, but He is coming. He is coming. The the book of Revelation closes with some of those scriptures where He says, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. He's already on His way. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told thee. I go to prepare a place for thee, that where I am, there ye may be also. What is that about? He's in preparation, though, because he's coming back. He's coming back. That where he is, we may be also. He's coming back. Hallelujah! if you need to pray in an altar tonight God is here if you need to take advantage of the long suffering of God the patience of God amen what scoffers would say is the store the delay of God if you need to take advantage of that tonight this altar is open I need thee, oh I need thee Lord I need thee, oh I need thee Lord God, your church is situated upon the prophets and the apostles both of them spoke of it is yet to come hallelujah the old prophets lord even spoke of the first coming of the lord in Bethlehem's major and many scoffed and denied help us not to miss the second coming help us not to miss this moment help us not to deny or reject that one that is still yet to come hallelujah jesus